And welcome to In the Mouth of Monster. I'm your host, Monster Dugan. And today we have a really cool episode set up for you guys. I'm going to talk to a really uh, cool actress I got lined up here. So um, it's going to be an exciting uh, episode. So stay tuned for that. And um, with me, as always, here in the lair is my co-host, John Schatzer. How are you doing today? Hello. Uh, you know, COVID's back. I got to wear a mask at work, so woohoo. Yeah, it's spiking, supposedly. So, I mean, everywhere at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good old good old COVID. Uh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what you get for going out to the beach and not staying safe for a couple of more months. Oh, well, it's life. Yes, it I is. guess that means I just have to hold up in my house and watch more movies. Yeah, as if you haven't watched enough already. <laughs> I, I I haven't had 300 yet, and I'm almost uh, more than halfway through the year, and I I haven't quite got to 300 yet. Hey, uh, uh, well, you know, the year's only half over. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. I gotta I gotta get it going. Yeah, yeah, so. me too. Yeah, I got a, I got a bunch of stuff going on recently. I I just finished a story. I was um. Uh, writing for a book and uh, i got another one i got to do uh, and did a couple of uh reviews lately and as well and stuff um so yeah trying to keep busy during this uh fun uh, exciting time um i do want to mention um i have a poster i'm getting ready for my short film that um we're getting ready to drop soon here i got a guy working on it so uh that'll be pretty cool um excited for everybody to check that out and see what that's all about so um stay tuned on that so with all the small talk uh, set up, we'll uh, take a break here and we'll head into our uh, video deadly segment here as we're about to review a really cool film, or at least I thought it was a really cool film called Beyond Fury, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back after this uh, trailer. Come in, Walker. Come in. It has been a long time, my friend. I got out, just like you. It took me years before I could sleep with both eyes closed, but I did it. And now some Russian scumbag has taken away everything that I held dear to me. You have public enemy number one after you, Ivan Latsevich. I want this fucking man. Walker's a one man walking fucking army. Not the newspapers called him. The angel of death. It doesn't matter who did this. I'll find him and I'll kill him. And they'll remember what I trained you for. Do it your way. at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast. 
And we're heading into our video deadly segment here, which is a uh, our segment where we review a movie that is either new or old or something someone sent to us. Um, and today we have something sent to us by a director, Darren Ward, who's uh, sent us his film Beyond Fury, which happens to be the third uh, in his trilogy of the films, which the first one was uh, Sudden Fury. And then the uh, other one was um, uh, Day of Violence is the second in the uh, series. And then this is the third one. And basically it's like a um, crime uh, thriller or uh, a revenge thriller, if you want to go as far as to say that. And it's just an ex-mercenary, Michael Walker, and his pregnant girlfriend are brutally attacked. And his unborn child is killed, which that all happens right in the beginning of the film. And then um, he ends up taking revenge and and going on the vigilante uh, tirade there. But this uh, film stars a couple of people I'm actually friends with and know. um, Stars uh, Danny Thompson and Gary Baxter. So I really enjoy this film. Um, You know, there's some things that aren't the best about it, and and, uh, there's some some issues with it. Some of the acting wasn't the best. Uh, Some of the dialogue I... I could care less for it was hit or miss, but I thought the the main actor was really great, and I mean I I thought the story was decent. There was a mob boss type guy um, who I thought was pretty uh, intimidating as well. So uh, what did you think about this, John? Okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the good stuff, and then I'll get that out of the way, and then I'm gonna tell you I got I got issues. But the mob boss. Dude, that's Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Yeah. That's a big deal to me. I was like, oh, my God, he's awesome. And for those of you who don't know, he's been in a bunch of Italian horror flicks. Yeah. Um, And he's just he's he's just he's so good in this. To me, he's the one actor who I really, really thought was good. And then in a weird way, this is supposed to be an action revenge movie. It feels more like torture porn to me because there's scene after scene after scene with people tied up, tied to a chair, whatever, just getting, pardon the language, just getting fucked up. And the gore in this movie is executed very well for budget. For the yeah, budget, I, the, I the smashing of the foot, the, there's a, a knife through the, the chin, there's just some really excellent brutal stuff in here and i thought you know that was really well done i mean every time there was gore i was like engrossed in paying close attention because bravo guys you need to make whoever did this needs to make some horror movies because you got that shit down um and it was really really good okay so like the knife's a good gag but here's here's the problem that i have with the movie First of all, this damn thing's like what, almost two hours long? Yeah, ran a little yeah. long. That was one of the you know issues I had you, with it. Is- you, you need to cut about half an hour, forty minutes out of this because yeah. there's a there's a bunch of shit that doesn't matter. We don't need to see the wife getting ready. We don't need to see yeah. them going and having a chat at supper. We don't need to see so much of the stuff with the crime guys that are incompetence. You know, we don't we don't need to see a lot of stuff. And and here's here's I guess I, let me backtrack for a minute here. I have a rule when reviewing lower budgeted movies. This is an independent film, not a big budget movie, not a studio film. I don't bait. I, I don't 
judge them based on how I would judge a big big budget movie because that's yeah. not fair. Yeah. Okay. But but I I beat this dead horse because I've been reviewing since the 80s. Um, I'm that old, and you know <laughs> I was reviewing movies on a mimeographed. If you guys even know what a mimeographed newsletter was, but so I you know I've been beating this dead horse for a long time. There are two things that your budget does not dictate. Yeah. In yeah. today's day and age, in today's day and age, uh, you editing software is cheap and easy, and you can edit your movie. It's not like the old days where you had to cut the tape and you could give yeah. them some slack. No, exactly. the budget has nothing to do with editing, and this movie is full of stuff that doesn't need to be there. You know, think about this monster. If you cut out the entire subplot and the cops the detectives which mm. really does nothing to move the story along yeah you I cut agree. that out you got 15 or 20 minutes or you already got a much tighter movie but you know a lot of a lot of uh, independent filmmakers fall in love with all the footage they shoot and they jam it all in there and it doesn't it doesn't help them that's exactly um, what i thought i thought the exact same thing about how you know um he didn't want to cut certain things because he felt it was necessary to the film. However, as a viewer, I thought the same thing that there was plenty of stuff in there. Like you had mentioned, um, you know, the, the dinner talk with the wife, the showing the, the one lady in the bathroom just to show her naked. Um, you know, some of those things is like, we don't really I need also, to see it. I also don't think, I also don't think we need, cause you know, let's be honest. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to be an asshole here, but, but like sexual violence in a movie it's there to establish the bad guy yes. most of the time. And, and the, 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 the girl in the shower, and then later on that, that rape scene yeah. was not necessary. We yeah. already know these guys are assholes. You've already established that. All that does is, is throw more unpleasantness that doesn't move your story along. So the editing doesn't cost you any money. There's no excuse for bad editing. And the second thing that I would say about independent movies that has nothing to do with your budget. So there's zero excuse and that's your story. Okay. Yeah. You need to show, if you're going to make an independent movie, you need to show me something I've not seen before. And unfortunately I'm watching beyond fury and go, that's from that movie. That's from that movie. That's from that movie. And this isn't me being unpleasant towards this because I, as a horror fan who watches a lot of independent horror films, for about 15 years, everybody made a zombie movie, and everybody was making the same zombie movie, and you didn't show me anything new, and I'd have the same complaints there. You know, I want, if you're going to give me a revenge flick, give me a twist. Give me something I've never seen before. Don't give me the guy, because, you know, I'm watching the movie, and this, this is what sucks for me. I'm watching the movie, and he's got a pregnant wife. I'm like, okay, well, she's going to die, and he's going to go on a revenge. Yeah. You know, there's no shock there. You know, think think about you've seen the original Assault on Precinct 13, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. They blow the little girl away. That gets your attention. You didn't see that coming. I'd say spoilers, but that damn movie's like over 40 years old. So oh, if anybody yeah. out in the audience hadn't heard it, yeah, hadn't then, seen it you're, you're way off. But yeah. so like, you know, the, the Beyond Fury, it, it everything, it was every trope that I expected. It was... Not well acted, but, you know, acting, I will, you know, to say I, I, I didn't pick on the acting too much because, yes, the acting isn't great. But 
independent filmmakers sometimes don't have a choice. They got to get who they can get. So I don't I'm not even going to pick on the acting at all because I, I understand sometimes you just got to roll with what you got. But um, it's just it's so bloated with stuff that didn't need to be there. I feel like there is a movie here that might not have been fantastic. But if you cut this thing down to about an hour and 20, hour and 25 minutes, and you get rid of a lot of the fluff that doesn't need to be there, uh-huh. you could actually have you could actually have a movie that I could say, hey, for an independent action movie, it's not bad. Um, but as it stands now, I'm just like looking at it going, there's a good movie in here. You know, it's like an independent John Wick in, in a way, you know, so. Well. Yeah, let, let's be honest, though. The action sequences here are not that gangbuster. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're okay. They do much better when somebody's tied up and getting tortured. Again, man, I cannot believe the quality on a budget. Now, you know, it's yeah. not big budget oh, movie gore. gore. But, but, yeah. but, but gore in what they pulled off on a clearly small budget is... It's great. I mean, you know, the, the again, the toes getting smashed, you know, tongue getting cut out. Yeah, I watching that part where he's smashing the toes with the ball peen hammer. I I couldn't, I couldn't, man, I almost couldn't take it. It just, I mean, the thought of that was just really, it kind of creep. And you know, I mean, and they do that though. They, this movie does a good job of pushing those buttons, so yeah. they they make you uncomfortable, but in the best possible way. Um, I mean, it, it kept me engaged the whole time, and, and I really enjoyed that part of it. And like I said, some of the actors I know, uh, Tony Martin and Danny Thompson and Gary Baxter, some of those people, uh, you know, and they're all, you know, they're really great actors. So, I, yeah, that that was Gary Baxter, and he, I mean, he played the villain of that. Like, I mean, Spider was, you know, was well, a great villain. Yeah, that but, I really but here's, here's where the movie, here's again where I have a criticism about the story. Spider's a great character. Spider he's disappears a, for a big chunk of the movie. Yeah, he yeah. Well, I totally I agree. Spider, I give me you know it's like it's like you're misfiring and you're giving me you give me all this crap with the cops who mean who honestly I found not at all interesting that storyline or those actors. Give yeah, me more Spider. Give me give me shots. Why is the Spider in the club stirring shit up? You know. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, you know I mean. There's stuff here that I did like. I don't. I'm not crapping all over the movie, you know. Yeah. And I did point out, Radici's good. The guy that played Spider's good, and the gore in this thing is phenomenal. But yeah. it's got so much baggage. Yeah, I, I, I had can't. a problem with a lot of. I had a problem with a lot of the dialogue. It just I felt that he, you know, they weren't confident in what they were writing, and they kind of just, you know, did their own did their own thing and i don't know it just some of the dialogue didn't fit seem to fit some of the scenes and some of the things they were doing and, and i think that took kind of takes you a little bit out of the film as well um as well as some of those uh, scenes that you said that you've mentioned where it's like they were i understand that they were trying to touch into the emotional aspect of those characters but at the same time in a film like this we don't it's not about the necessarily the emotional parts of it like if you've seen that movie that uh, revenge with the girl who you know goes and does it's like yeah you, you get the emotional part but the but they don't harp on it. They basically just show you a little bit of it and then take you right into the action. But I, I really did like this film, though. I thought Beyond Fury was a, was a great film, you know, for being indie and stuff. And, yeah, it has its problems. But, I mean, it's one of the better indie films I've watched in a while, especially for being, a, you know, a revenge-type thriller. Like you said, I just wish they would have done something a little bit extra with it. But I thought it was 
pretty decent film overall and i actually pretty i actually really enjoyed the watch and it kept my attention the whole time and so i you know and like you said the gore is just absolutely phenomenal that was one thing i did realize that i mean when i was watching i was like each of the times when they did throw out the blood and do that stuff it it was you know phenomenal gore and so i I haven't seen the first two films in this trilogy, which I'm going to go back and uh, try to check out here um, after this. And, you know, so I'm not exactly sure how the story's gone or what the first two films look like. But apparently a lot of people uh, enjoyed this trilogy and they, you know, he's got a following of it. So, but, you know, I, I really enjoy it. I thought it was a decent film. So, I yeah, mean, I, I'm on the I, I, yeah, I, I can't I can't recommend this one myself. You know, it's it like I said, it's got stuff going for it, but I. It's it's flawed. It's flawed. Now, now, would I be interested in seeing this guy's next movie? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Because because, you know, if he's if he's a good filmmaker and he's got some stuff here that that tells me he is, um, his next one will be better. And the one after that will be better. And the one after that will be better. And hopefully he's doing some good stuff here. Oh, the camera work was good, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I forgot to mention this. Yeah, I had a problem with the sound. Um, It, it was kind of up and down a little bit here and there and yeah. um, there was some scenes where you could hear the echo of the inside of the room where they're acting and they're using a boom mic or whatnot so i had a little bit of issue with that but i mean those are all independent problems that we're talking about for indie filmmakers and you know that's a lot of that stuff is budget wise if they had to you know bigger budget they could have had better equipment to do certain things and stuff i do want to say though that when doing the dialogue in those certain rooms where it's kind of echoey it'd be better just to go and uh do a you know a voiceover uh, part for that and record it, you know, in a, in a, in a better suited room for that, you know, type. So you don't get the echo and stuff and, and then just plug that into the film where it should be, um, which is what, you know, most of the indie, from what I, the people I talk to, uh, that's what most of the indie guys do nowadays. They, they do, uh, do the dialogue in, you know, certain uh, areas, but when it's going to be echoey or things like that, they tend to um, record the dialogue separately and then just, plug it into you know when they're editing the film later so yeah i mean i i recommend it and john john says he doesn't here but i do i i think you know for an indie film it's it's a fun uh you know revenge crime type of thriller and i enjoyed it kept my attention it i felt it did run a little long but at the same time i still paid attention the entire time and you know being in indie world sometimes you start watching a film and your mind starts to wander because you're not really into the film and so this one kept my attention so i get you know for that for that alone i i, I would recommend you know if you're a, a a fan of low budget indie you know uh, revenge type films which there tend to be a lot of those uh, fans out there um then i highly suggest check, checking this one out but i mean it's not for everybody it is you know indie so so that'll do it, and we'll uh, take a break here. We're going to head into our next segment here, the Average Joe Report, and we'll take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Can you hear that? Don't worry. This won't hurt a bit. Your serum has contaminated the donuts, and they've come to life. <laughs> Have I seen what I think I'm seeing? The donuts are alive and mutated into killer donuts. Let's call the police. And tell them what? An army of killer donuts is on the loose? <laughs> Free donuts! <laughs> we 
Joe report. And we're back at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast. And we're heading into our um, Average Joe report segment here with my buddy Joe Germo, the um, amazingly uh, talented tattoo artist out of Queen Creek, Arizona. In the first couple of episodes of the second season here, we've had Joe review the same film as uh, me and John have reviewed in the Video Deadly segment uh, prior to this. So to break it up and make it to where we're not literally doing two different reviews of the same film every time, we're going to have Joe review a little something different today, and we're going to start mixing them up. He's going to review the same films me and John review a couple of times here and there, but it's going to be, you know, in different episodes, so we're not doing the same thing back to back. So this time around, I gave Joe a, a little challenge here, and we decided to have him tackle a, a, a movie that I really enjoy and, and, and have some had some fun watching. But before we dig into that, let's say hi to Joe here. So how you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good, good. Um, so this time I had you tackle a film that I got to uh, watch and review. I was sent the screener um, by the director back in, I want to say, 2019, I think it was, uh, when I covered the uh, Horror on Sea Film Festival, which is one of the top film festivals uh, for horror, independent horror films in the world um, out there right now. I think it was ranked number four or something like that on the list of 10 the last year or whenever that was. So you know, I, I really enjoyed this and thought this was a fun, just quirky film. It's not uh, for everybody and definitely not for people who aren't, you know, it's got, it's a neat, it's pretty much a niche target audience they're looking for. So I wanted to kind of give Joe a chance to uh, review something that's a little bit uh, out of his, out of the ordinary for him to be watching. So um, with that said, we're, I had him review Attack of the Killer Donut. So for those of you who don't know, it's basically like uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's like a scientist uh, turns, you know, has some um, chemical he's using to uh, bring things back to life or whatever. And now uh, somehow it, he gets into a fight with the owner of a donut shop inside the donut, um, you know, in, inside the shop. And uh, his little vial slips out of his pocket and falls in the fryer where they're cooking the donuts. You got mutant killer donuts, you know, kind of radioactive looking. They're greenish and, and whatnot. And so they start attacking the town. Um, this is uh, directed by Scott Wheeler and um, stars uh, Justin Ray, Kayla uh, Compton, which she's from The Flash. She plays Allegra in The Flash TV show, uh, the DC one. It also stars uh, C. Thomas Howell, who um, everybody should know from, you know, um, The Outsiders and Hitcher and E.T. and, you know, all those old great films. He's a old school uh, legend basically a legendary actor but i i thought this was just a fun film um but i'm curious to get joe's thoughts here as i ramble on a little bit here but uh, i just want to give the synopsis there to let people kind of know what it was that he was, he's watching so what do you think of this movie joe i mean honestly i really enjoyed this movie like you said it was it was really quirky it had its moments of really solid serious story character development character arcs it had the perfect amount of comedy it wasn't overly gratuitous and the same thing with the gore even i think the gore scenes were really fun and they weren't gratuitous and thought it was really cool the character archetypes were awesome they were elucidated perfectly you know you knew which characters were the good guys which characters played which roles and everybody got what was coming to them accordingly and 
you know, Wheeler did an excellent job with the character development. That's a huge issue for any movie. Oh, yeah. Um, what'd you think of the special effects? Um, you know, the CGI donuts mixed in with some, you know, actual looking donuts and stuff. Those were surprisingly really good because you could tell the, the the movie itself didn't have this massive budget or anything like that, but they didn't stand out of place too bad. Their animation was very natural and very in sync with the, the characters around them. They did they did really good with that. So you could tell that, um, you know, in the scenes where the donuts were moving a little more excessive in the few times that they really got to focus on the donuts, you could really see the background blur out around it a little bit. Yeah, he, yeah. It, it was cool. It was it was well done, and he created an entire atmosphere around it. So you were very much involved. The story was well made. It had me. I'm just looking at some of these characters. And I'm like, God, I hate you. And then next thing you know, they die. Some of the most gruesome deaths I'd seen in there. It was it was really cool. So speaking of the deaths, what do you think of those um, being? It's you know it's killer donuts, so you can only really do so much. But they you know they kind of pulled it off they definitely did the deaths were clever the the donuts were sentient they were intelligent they knew what to do in the few moments where they were actually like in the one-on-one scenes there was the the scene where they attacked the the group of people that came in and bullied them at the donut shop and one of them even started spitting whatever it was filled with whatever it was custard or whatnot it ended up being like acidic and the other one bit off the dude's hand they got the girlfriend that was using using him the whole time and the guy she was cheating on him with. It was just really cool. They did good, and the deaths were fun. So tell me a little bit about what you were just talking about, how uh, one of your roommates had uh, watched it with you, and he didn't, he didn't really care for it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? It's more or less just the overall genre. He's not a big into the horror scene, let alone the more low budget indie films of regarding it so but uh my other roommate was sitting here with me and he's very much not into this world but he was so invested by the end of this movie you know he was he was just sitting there with me and we're just completely captivated by this movie so it's got to say something right there it took him and completely captivated him into this movie he didn't move you know for those who are who don't know joe so well um you know this isn't his normal type of film that he's used to watching. It's it's not something he, you know, not usually in his in his lane, as they say. I always enjoy these random one-offs. I, I I enjoy the blockbuster performances, the Marvel movies. You know who doesn't? But at the end of the night, I'm always looking for something new, so I'm always scrounging the depths of Netflix and Hulu and Prime, and and I'm finding these little films. You know, I did a lot of. Uh, film production and stuff when I was younger. So I have a lot of appreciation for how much effort goes into this. And you and I have made that one movie. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, we uh, recently shot our own little short film and it was me and you and, and uh, my brother Scott. And, you know, we, we did it all ourselves. And it's a lot of work. And, you know, we tried to put as much as we could into it. So, so Joe is familiar with the indie film scene and the aspect of he has acted and shot one film you know himself with me so you know he he, he has a better understanding than most of of some of these films that i'm going to be sending him so uh it's always good to get his opinion and to uh, get his take on these things on you know these types of things so another thing i wanted to really point out that i enjoyed was the soundtrack that is a huge thing to me you know like you've known me 
for a very long time. You know how music is with my life. I grew up a musician and just everywhere I go, music. So that's something I pay a lot of attention to when it comes to a movie. The the music was on point, and I'm fairly certain all of it was original. I mean, they created an entire song, Attack of the Killer Donuts, and that thing is still stuck in my head. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack was fantastic, and to me, that plays a huge part, and it was another aspect to keep me and, you know, my my entire sensory just involved in this, not just what I was watching, but what I was hearing. The They matched up with the scenes perfectly. The story progression itself was very, very clear. So, And that's really fun when you're not trying to figure out what is even going on in the movie. You know, they went from A to B to C to D. And you knew exactly what was happening. The character archetypes, the good guys, the bad guys, the mad scientist, the the cringy store owner who was going to get what he deserved as well. The only things I had to say that I didn't really either understand or whatnot was there was some, I don't know if they're continuity or what, but <clears throat> the rat. The rat in the beginning when it bit the doctor or the, mad, the scientist, and then he got out and it ran under the door. And he was just sitting there bleeding and he was experimenting with this serum we still know nothing about. I've seen the movie a couple of times now. We still don't know anything about the serum. But later on, the rat was just miraculously back in the cage. So it's like, what happened? Did anything happen with the bite? And then a couple of the people that were affected by the donuts, what happened to them? Were they zombies? Because the one had like this superhuman strength. He broke the cuffs out, knocked out the cops, kicked out the door, and then just literally crapped himself to death yeah but he was he well, was conscious was, he was cognitive so. thin, but yes <laughs> right yeah. it's just there's a couple of questions at the end of there that i felt like they could have touched on a little bit more that you know just kind of fell between the cracks but that's about it that's really my only complaint is just a couple of issues that i just still can't seem to understand well man Appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day to come and do another uh, review with us. I hope you uh, had had fun with this. Um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to give you something a little crazy, a little different, a little off the wall. So uh, oh, I love it, man. Keep the crazy coming. Looking forward to your next one. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with our feature interview. And I just want to uh, preface this real quick by saying uh, normally on the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, we um, focus on horror-related content. However, I want this uh, podcast to be a basically a filmmaker, actors um, type of podcast for anybody, indie or, you know, whatever. And so that being said, this time around, we don't have somebody we're interviewing who's actually in the horror genre. But they are a current uh, star at the moment, and um, a lot of people have latched on to one of the characters that this actor plays it's become a huge hit and so with that we're going to take our break and we'll be right back with our feature interview finish up and then beat it excuse me this is my mart you ain't hustling no coin at my mart i'm not hustling i'm not homeless Oh, you a homeless person. Don't look. Oh, my God, we just made eye contact. Great, now she's coming over. You see what you've done? But what do we do? Hey, open up and give me money. <sighs> I'm gonna hurt ya. Lock the doors. Yeah, right in front of her? You want her hopping in the back seat to make shit everywhere and slicing her throat? Be my guest. 
I just need you to bring attention to the dojo, all right? I want everybody to see this sign. You want me to flash my bits? That'll cost you extra. No, that's the opposite of what I want. Nobody wants to see your bits. Just take the sign, hold it up in the air, and spin it around, all right? Do that all day, and you'll get your money. Well, I want math and a burrito. You can spend it on whatever you want. That's how money works. Just do your job, spin it around. I'll be back later. You got it? Got it. Hold the sign up. interview with the monster and we're back at the in the mouth of monster podcast and we're heading into our future interview here and um i have somebody special for you guys lined up today um we have an amazing uh, actress and producer and uh martial artist uh with us today and i'm talking of course about uh susan gallagher from you guys probably know her best from tomeless lynn and cobra kai and she just got a role in the Loki show too from uh, Disney. The in part, and now she's part of the MCU. Uh, so we'll talk to her about that stuff uh, here in a little bit. But um, uh, welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate this. We're excited to have you on here. So. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a huge fan, and uh, like I told you, I'm a huge fan, and. Uh, this is an exciting day for us having you on here, so we're just very appreciative of you taking time out of your day to come talk to us. So. Well, thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, thank you. Pleasure is all ours, believe us. <laughs> <laughs> so you're uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, is that correct? That's right. I was born in Charlotte and grew up in Charlotte and Gastonia, which is right outside of Charlotte. Um, so I'm a Carolina girl. Nice. So... You guys have a family business uh, that your uh, father started um, called Goodwill Publishers. Um, can you actually, tell us a his, bit? His, actually, his father started it. My grandfather oh, okay. um, started it. And um, yeah, he, he and my grandmother started out selling Bibles door to door back in the Depression and uh, worked very hard for a long time. And, you know, we've been in business for a long, long time and, and it's just been a, a blessing. And our family still runs it, my uh, my uncle and my cousins, so it's still in the family. It's based out of Gastonia, North Carolina, and we have an office in Charlotte, and we still sell Bibles, uh, one of the largest Catholic Bible distributors, and also other motivational, inspirational type books. We have several different divisions within Goodwill, but, um, you know, we're very proud of it. It's It's... You know, it's been a blessing for our family. Uh, to clarify a little bit, so you guys uh, were originally um, selling the Bibles to um, hotels and things like that. Is that correct? No, we, my grandmother, uh, she was the top salesperson back in the day, many, many years ago, and used to take my dad, who was just a little boy with her, around, and they sold door-to-door at homes, like the family Bible. And my grandmother was quite charming and just, you know, salt-of-the-earth kind of woman. She would always come back at the end of the day, and she she was the top salesman constantly because she's, she was so likable. And then she had this cute little boy who was my father with her, so she would outsell all of the men. But, yeah, they, they started Goodwill Publishers selling Bibles door-to-door. That's awesome. 
you guys still make a, a decent living on that now or yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it, you know i can't complain it's it's a strong business and we like i said we've got several different div- type divisions um like my brother ed gallagher he he's retired now but he ran uh a military end and then we have like a a book that goes to funeral homes for families, kind of like a, a keepsake register. And we have school programs and a lot of different divisions um, with the un- underneath the Goodwill heading. So it's not just Bibles anymore. We kind of diversified many years ago and used to do a newlywed Bible. And then you get sponsors within the community, businesses within the community to sponsor those for the new couple. And, you know, now they have all all different kinds of um, spiritual books and motivational books. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty, uh, you know, cool little thing. Uh, Nobody's ever asked me that. So that's a first. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Good. Good. How did you get into acting? What was it that like, you know, uh, pulled you into it? What made you want to hop into it? Well, my mother was in the entertainment business. Um, She is a jazz musician and traveled a lot. Not when I was, I was little, I was the youngest of four and she gave it up when she started having a family, but she had had a a very successful career in show business for many years. She, she worked with Tony Bennett, Mel Tremé and Dick Van Dyke. She had a show with Dick Van Dyke in Birmingham, Alabama, way back in the fifties. And So I think I kind of grew up with the bug. You know, my dad was quite charismatic and always wanted to be an actor. He's, he was kind of a Marlon Brando type of guy, but you know, he had a family and he worked for the family business selling. Um, So, you know, he was performing in a different way than, than what I do. But yeah, yeah, um, it wasn't until I actually moved to Central Florida and and got married to to Jimbo Yana, and he really encouraged me to do it because I needed a creative outlet. I was not used to living in a really small town and had left my family and friends and support system in Charlotte and and just had a lot of um, adjustments to make and and really needed to to have a creative outlet and and to, to at least occasionally be in Tampa and Orlando, which is where we live right between the two. And just kind of do my own thing while we were uh, having a family and raising kids and and acting was a great outlet for me and i started out doing a lot of commercials and that kind of thing and and back in the day orlando and tampa both had a lot of theme park commercials so there was lots of work and lots of print work and i did a lot of modeling and i did some modeling in, in uh, charlotte before I left, but nothing serious until I moved to Florida and the doors just kind of kept opening, but I I was able to do it part-time for many, many years while my priority was my family and my kids because I just love motherhood. But in the early 90s, I booked a recurring role on a show called Safe Harbor that aired on the WB. And that was my first prime-time recurring role in a television series and I played Gregory Harrison's potential love interest if you remember Gregory Harrison from oh yeah um Trapped John MD and you know some of that he's been around a while and it was great it was shot up in Jacksonville Florida which is about three hours where I lived and 
we did one season. It was created by Brenda Hampton, who had also created Seventh Heaven, which was a, a huge hit. So we we yeah. were very hopeful that this was going to be a huge hit. I thought this was going to be my break. And Gregory had moved his whole family to Jacksonville. Rue McClanahan played his mother, and she had bought a condo there. And Mickey Rooney was in it. So it was it was quite an honor to work with these veterans and and to be part of that. But we were opposite Monday Night Football. And actually, it was a it should have been an 8 p.m. show, not a 9 p.m. And, um, you know, it just it, it was canceled after the first year. And I was handpicked by Aaron Spelling. It was an Aaron Spelling production. And so that was that was quite an honor that that he chose me. So um, after that, I I started going to L.A. every year for pilot season and taking my kids with me because I wanted them to broaden their horizons and to be around a lot of different types of people rather than just living in our little tiny small town in Florida where my husband, all of his family is and their business. And um, we just, you know, I I wanted them to, to have some other opportunities. So my husband was very supportive and we lived at Oakwood Apartments for years and then eventually had a house in Toluca Lake and Burbank and just, you know, that was kind of our home base area. And I booked some stuff while I was there. The kids were both in the business. They worked and we just had a great time as a family. They went to school at the studio Academy and it was just, it was a blast. (laughs) So, but nothing, no game changers as far as, you know, booking something like a series regular, which would enable us to move there and live live there full time. So we would come back home. And, um, you know, I just kind of did that for a number of years until my youngest left for college. John here. Um, Hi, I'm John. a huge, I'm a huge fan of the Golden Girls. And I'm not ashamed to say that I love them. Oh, I um, love it. Yeah. And, and I just got to ask, what was Rue McClanahan like? Oh my gosh, she was just so wonderful. <laughs> oh, and I mean, of course, we know how brilliant she is. I mean, she was she just she, her character in the Golden Girls. I, I'll still watch it just to watch her because, of course, Betty White and all of them are phenomenal. But she just nailed that part, and she was so hilarious and did it with such ease. But she was wonderful, and like I said, she played Gregory's mother, and she was Grant. He was a single dad with um two or three children, I think three, two boys and a girl. And she was, um, she was the grandmother who was kind of like the, the, the aunt B except, you know, she was Rue McClanahan and Gregory played the sheriff of this small town. And, um, I, I played Claire, the owner of the local diner. So it was kind of like a, a take on the, my three sons television show. If you remember that, so it was a it was it was a great family show. It should have been it would have done well in the 8 p.m. slot rather than the the 9 p.m. slot. It was a little late for our audience, but she was just spectacular, just so gracious and generous and just lovely. So uh, getting into some of your uh, films here, um, I wanted to talk about a couple of them, a couple of your roles you've had here. You were in the Billionaire Boys Club uh, with uh, some pretty big names. Uh, can you tell me yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, that was quite an honor to work with Taryn Egerton, some of those guys. Um, you know, it it um it the movie didn't do as well as they had hoped, but it was quite an honor for me. And I'll I played the mother of two of the boys, the billionaire boys, and um Taryn was one of their their best friends. And uh, I've got a wonderful picture that I just cherish with all the boys and 
Um, it was a great experience. So this one's uh, kind of interesting, and I, I really uh, dug this, and I asked you about it when I had um, interviewed you once before. So what, what was it like taking on the character of Val in the um, web series Queering, where you play a mother of a lesbian daughter who comes out as bisexual herself? That is such a great question. Um, I love Val, that character, and uh, Queering has a special place in my heart. Because at that time in my career, I was really trying to bust out of that little Hollywood box that my agents and the casting directors in the, the business saw me, you know, as this pretty lady from the South, blah, blah, blah. And then that in a very limited number of roles. And I knew deep down in my gut that I wanted to be more of a character actress. And I was just determined to really focus on that. And like I said earlier, um, I didn't really start focusing full time on my career until my youngest, Beau, left for college, actually. And my husband would say, you didn't, you didn't leave home until he was a junior at college. Basically, he was 21. And then I had to cut the cord, right? And I, I went to New York and, and had, my daughter and I got an apartment. She had already finished college. And um, my husband was just so wonderful. He would commute back and forth. And I just started studying and got very serious about it and studied with Zena Jasper, which I still do. She's she That's who I stay with now. I've known her so long now. She's like my mentor. But anyway, I started self-submitting on Actors Access and Backstage.com for different roles that, that um, challenged me, that spoke to me, and that were completely you know, a different type than what I normally normally am cast in. So there was a role for this character named Val, this bisexual character. And I thought, oh, this is just perfect. I, I really would love to challenge myself as an actor to to play something that is completely against my type, right? Because I'm, I'm straight. So um, I auditioned for it. I got the call back. I was in New York and I met with the creator Leticia Depertorli from Brazil, who's, who lives in New York, and actually read with Sophia Grasso, who plays Harper, my daughter, and Diana O, who plays Devin, her best friend. They were, they had narrowed it down, and the three of us were all there together. And just the energy and uh, the authenticity of just the relationships, we um, automatically formed was was just so real and just it was creative there was just a lot of creativity in the room and there's just a freedom to to play and explore and we just had the best time at the callback and we knew that this was going to be a, a, a special ensemble right there and we we shot I think five webisodes just a little short five to seven minute webisodes the first season you can see them all free on YouTube. And then we did a second season. We had over a million views the first season, never had $1 for advertising or marketing. We had just such a small budget and it was a labor of love basically for all of us. And then the second season, I came on as associate producer because I believed in this project and I still do so much. And we, I think we shot six webisodes and it's just wonderful. So we've got two seasons up on YouTube. And then last year, during the spring, which I'm usually in New York City all spring every year, we were um, in pre-production to shoot Queering the Movie because we knew that the fans wanted something. And we had been selected to screen year before last, before COVID, at South by Southwest Film Festival, which is 
you know, quite a, oh, a reputable film. Yeah, yeah. So it was such an honor for us. We were like, wow, okay, we need to do something with this project. People really like it. Um, and just a little side note, when I was in, uh, in Austin attending the festival, for queering and doing interviews and just really um, our, our main cast, our series regular and our creator were all there and we just really were hitting it hard. Um, I realized that Cobra Kai was doing a private screening of, I think it was season two maybe, season three, I don't know, one, two or three, but probably two. And um, I got on the invite list, so I got to meet those guys for the very first time without being in character of homeless land and i know we're going to touch on that later but i just wanted to put that out there that that was um connected to queering and actually our queerings creator went attended not the private screening with me said so she got to meet the big three so it, it's just so special so any of the way uh, COVID hit and then we had to put queering the movie on the back burner and we've all just you know we're now trying to come out of the whole COVID pandemic and regroup and figure out what we're going to do. And I'm still very hopeful that queering the movie is um, going to happen. And I'm proud to be part of it. Speaking of doing something a little different, because uh, you went to the norm and stuff, um, I, I have to ask you about this just because. Um, so you were in How High 2. Uh, what made you go for that uh, role in that film? <laughs> that is, you're asking the best questions. Okay. Uh, How High 2, which I, I, I knew, you're welcome. I knew nothing about. I was in Atlanta shooting something else, and my agent, Jason Lockhart from AMT, calls me and just says, now you're, you're off tomorrow, right? And I said, yeah. He said, you're, you're still in town. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, would you like to get paid to um, just briefly work on uh, a scene for this feature film and you'll be the screaming lady, screaming bloody murder in this little um, restaurant, hamburger joint. I said, yeah, I'll take a SAG daily rate to go and scream. And so I did, I was there just right. a couple of hours. They were so nice. The director was wonderful. And um, I mean, if you've seen it, it's so funny that you even brought that up. You know, I walk into this restaurant and then I go to sit down with my burger or whatever it is. And I look over and I see underneath the booth across from me is the guy tied up underneath. They're going, you know, trying to ask for help or whatever. So I did my scream and, you know, that was it. So I didn't audition. Yeah. I didn't, you know, That's the awesome. casting director, I think the casting director was George Lopez and he, he knows me, so whoever it was, they they knew me and they knew that I could I could do it and I would you know show up on time and be professional and and I, I think they were very pleased. <laughs> and the director promised me he said I'll I'll see you again we'll work together again you'll have a little a little bigger part. I'm thinking buddy I'll do this for you know two hours anytime you want you know. Well I gotta ask you uh, Go at this point because. You were on one of my favorite TV shows. Again, I'm the old guy here, so and of course, old guys love NCIS, and in this case, NCIS New Orleans. Yeah. Um, who'd you get to? I'm I'm I don't remember. Ex I know the episode is overlooked, but who'd you get to work with, and what was that kind of set like? And did you get to meet Scott Bakula? Yeah, my scene was with him. Totally. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's um. Oh, nice. 
It's on my demo reel. I usually post my demo reel every now and again on social media. But yeah, it was my first network guest starring role. So that that was such a big deal for me. And I was so proud to have that. Um, he was great. Yeah, I played this uh, madam. You talk about old broad. I'm, I mean, old guy. I'm, I'm the old broad, right? <laughs> yeah, she, uh, you know, obviously it shoots in New Orleans. I played this madam of this massage parlor who is very corrupt and she gets caught up in this. Well, I don't want to give any spoilers away because they're still airing it, but she gets caught up in a big <laughs> illegal kind of circumstance and, and she gets caught, they get busted and there was a gunfight. So it was, it was pretty cool. Awesome. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But Scott was, Quite the gentleman, you know, he's, um, I don't know if he's executive producer, but he's, I think he's one of the executive producers. It's, I mean, it, it, it was his baby and we had threatening weather that day. And one of the scenes was outside at the back of the police car and that kind of thing. And I'm in handcuffs and the sky was looking really, really dark. And he was so decisive and take charge with a calm, steady hand. And I just, it, it was an honor to watch the way he works because not only was he the star, but he he heads that thing, that show. And, um, you know, he was making decisions, good decisions, as far as what we're gonna shoot now, blah, 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 considering the weather. So he's smart, yeah. you know, not only yeah. is he talented and he's a very, very nice, family man um but but he's a great producer a great executive producer and leader of of that that show yeah fantastic i've been a fan of his since quantum leap so yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean he's uh, he's obviously very good at um wearing a lot of different hats which a lot of people can't do it's not easy to do that and then you know perform you were in a uh, movie recently, a 2020 movie um, called Walkaway Joe. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? And that uh, stars uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, which I know you didn't get to work with. Is that correct? You just that's correct. But I did get to work with the Oscar-nominated David Strathern. So um, oh, that yes. was huge because I have been a fan of his work for a long time, and I play his ex-wife. He plays uh, David. Uh, plays Joe Haley, and I, I played his ex-wife, and that shot in New Orleans, too, somewhere in Louisiana, and Stephen Bernstein was the cinematographer, the DP, and he is so talented. I follow him on social media, Stephen, because he's so generous. I mean, if you want to know anything about filmmaking, you'll want to follow Stephen Bernstein on Instagram, because he just shares so much of his knowledge and experience with his his followers and um i i've just learned so much about filmmaking watching this guy and i was so honored to be able to to work with him on that so yeah that was um that was another wonderful experience for me with that being said what are some of your um favorite roles that you've ever worked on what are you know what are some of the movies that you in, really enjoyed uh taking part in well, the, the one that I'm loving right now is the one that I just wrapped on called A Taste of Love. It's, it's a Hallmark-type movie, 
And I don't know, I mean, I can say this because it's out there, but but uh, it's starring Martin Cove, and I play Martin's wife. And it's so funny because both of our characters are completely opposite from Crease and Homeless Lynn and Cobra Kai. And Jesse Cove, Martin's son, plays the uh, the young male lead, and then Aaron Cahill, who is a uh, very well-known hallmark star she's she's been in um several other movies she plays our daughter so this movie literally just wrapped you know i think friday or something and that was such a wonderful experience and and i was just so thrilled to to work with martin because most of my scenes are are with billy zapka you know and i absolutely adore him but to be able to play martin's wife in something so different and for me to look so different than i do in cobra kai was a lot of fun and to get to know jesse who is an absolute doll if you guys don't know jesse co but of course he was in season three of cobra kai and played the bully who beat up uh barrett Cal- callahan i think he barrett is the the actor who played actually played martin cove in season three in the flashback scene and yeah. the, you know, the war um, but the, you know, remember the bully, the big, good-looking guy who was, yeah, um, yeah uh, over the girl and stuff. That is Jesse Cove. That is actually Martin Cove's son. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, before we get into a bunch of the Cobra Kai talk here, um, so what are some, who are some of your influences and um, what are some of your favorite actors that you try to channel when you perform? I love Helena Bonham Carter, who, um, I mean, do you know who that is? She's a character actress. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and because I, I love those those different crazy roles, and, um, you know, her her role in Harry Potter would, <laughs> uh, that would be, like you know, my dream. But I also love Holly Hunter, and uh, I've had the opportunity and the honor of working opposite Holly in a movie in Mississippi called Strange Weather and Catherine Diekman um, wrote and directed and it and it was an honor to you know to have a female director and to work with Holly and I just think that she is so incredible so I, I really like her work too and I, I love of course Judy Dench and I mean there there's just so many talented people as far as male actors um i've always been a fan of jeff bridges my all-time favorite was robin williams and yeah you know so uh but i love i love people like lynn shay kingpin i don't know if you ever saw that with um oh what's his name uh woody harrelson and yeah um, yeah woody woody quaid yeah yeah, yeah, woody harrelson and and lynn shay and um, you know, there might be just a tiny, tiny bit, because I, I don't like to be a copyist. I like to, to do my own thing with my character Lynn. development. But there might be a tiny little bit of Lynn Shay and Homeless Lynn. <laughs> oh, well, that is awesome. There might be a tiny bit of somebody uh, like, uh, I really enjoy the the uh, performance of Loretta Swit in MASH with Hot Lips Houlihan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then you know you got to throw Granny Clampett in there. I loved. Oh, can't yeah. remember that actress's name right now, but I I like those crazy, crazy ladies <laughs> that yeah. aren't afraid that aren't afraid to to look ugly and and be crazy. So we're this we're getting to that time now. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask you. So what is it like working on Cobra Kai, and how has it been? 
because I, I've been online and seen as, as well that you've got a huge following as Homeless Lynn. And what's that been like to have a character just become so popular like that? It is so crazy. And by the way, her name, just for the record, officially is just Lynn. We yeah. started Homeless yeah. Lynn because the guy, the big three have never established Lynn's name in the show. So yeah. when people were going on IMDb, and and you know, looking at the different casts, they and they see my professional pretty headshot. They have no idea that I play that crazy homeless woman. So it was sort of a, a little marketing thing, that, and and it just simplified it because nobody knew who Lynn was. So we had to put the homeless Lynn, and then it just kind of took off. And the fans have just been so amazing. I, I think, guys, that it it just stems from the Karate Kid and the love that people have for for that writing and those characters. And um, the big three, of course, are diehard fans. So it's all a labor of love for them. It's like a dream for these guys to be able to, to, to be writing for their passion, something they're so passionate about and they know so well and they, you know, they take it so seriously and, and they, they really, consider all of the fans and and the the um the historical aspect of it yeah. i just think you know these guys have just done a phenomenal job and i think when we switched to netflix it was an opportunity for the whole world to see how talented the big three are and and how talented william zapka is i mean can we just give that guy yeah. an emmy right now for his performance and then marty yeah. and ralph Everybody has just um, been so all in in this project, and it's just been an honor and an absolute blessing for me. And even though, of course, I would love for them to develop the character of Lynn, Homeless Lynn, and and I'd like to be in more episodes, I'm I'm just grateful that they keep bringing her back because it's not like she's a huge storyline I mean, you know she's not we're, we're <laughs> she's providing some comic relief because johnny lawrence's life is so full of drama <laughs> he needs a little bit of comedy right so uh so, what is it like working with zapka I, I just have to ask he's just he's great he's um he's so good and there's just always been since even the very first episode of season one there's just always been a very um comfortable ease between lynn and johnny and and just a natural chemistry and a good energy between those two characters so it 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 plays well for the audience the bantering that they have back and forth and um it's yeah. just it, you know it's just really authentic and it's it's nice because it makes it interesting to watch definitely and the one-liners are so freaking hilarious <laughs> you know they develop a life of their own with hashtags and and everything so it's been so much fun and like i was saying about the fans um they're so loyal there's just so many of you guys that have been around since karate kid and have loved these these fellas and all of this world for many many years and then we have the all of the newer fans with Cobra Kai and it's just a really nice group of people and the the fans for the most part are respectful and loyal and just so happy that Cobra Kai 
you know, exist and because they love it. They genuinely love it so much. And a lot of them have been attending these comic cons for years with, with Billy and Marty and Ralph. And it's, I mean, they, they truly are dedicated to this, this Karate Kid world, the universe, a Karate Kid universe. And, you know, I just wanted to say this one thing, which is uh, as an old guy, again, I'll keep going back to being an old guy. I've seen so many uh, franchises and things revisited from my childhood, and most of them try to get updated. They get screwed up. They don't respect the original source material. And that's why Cobra Kai works, because I watch it and I'm like, okay, I was their age when they were their age. I'm their age now. And it's, it's real. It just feels like this is a real, nothing's forced. They have families, you know, Johnny's life isn't great. Things don't always turn out the way they want them to. I just think that it's a really kind of well-written and well-made thing that they're doing and they're not screwing it up, which so many people seem to be unable to avoid. I know it's so true. So many people say that. And it's also, I think, brilliant how they flipped it to be from, you know, Johnny Lawrence's point of view. Uh, oh, I, you know, and I loved I loved how they like when you were saying that, how how they took the original movie. But then they like you said, they flipped it and you could actually see how the events of the original movie from Johnny's point of view. It's a completely different story. It is. That was uh, my wife and I binge watched this show. We love it. And we were and I'm like going, wow, that's just they took something that we all know by heart. And they made us look at it completely different. That's mm-hmm. genius. Yeah. That is, yeah. Genius. I, I totally so, agree. It is. I have, and it's it's I have, obvious because it's it's so successful. So people people really appreciate it. Let me ask you a question. You, uh, now, according to, to the notes that Monster got here, you're act, you have like a black belt in Taekwondo or? I do. Can you believe that? I was actually in training for my second degree. When I hurt my ankle, I started developing cysts around my ankle because, you know, you're on your the balls of your feet and your toes so much Mm -hmm. spinning, doing spinning kicks and stuff. And um, uh, it just, you know, the the body is starting to tear down. But, you know, you give me three months to get in shape and I'll still kick your butt. Right. (laughs) So that leads me to this question. have you pitched it to the big three yet that at some no. point Lynn needs to show up and kick butt <laughs> I said, and I'm shock like, the hell out of everybody? No, because I'm afraid they may say, okay, let's see what you can do. And I'll, just, I'll be like, oh, can you give me a little bit to come back to you on that? Can you give me 30 minutes to stretch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I- I totally know what you're talking about because um, I do martial arts right now. I'm actually uh, working on my brown belt in karate, but at our dojo, we do, oh, thank you. Yeah, at our dojo, we do um, you know a little bit of everything. We're not just karate; it's under okay. the banner of karate, but we do taekwondo, kickboxing, a little krav maga. We do jujitsu, and those are our dojo is a little different. Those are mandatory in my dojo, so you have to have. Uh, you have to to get a certain stripe. You have to do jujitsu and stuff like that, which is not normal in all karate schools. But so yeah, that um, you know, taekwondo is is a very tough sport and uh, takes yeah. a lot. You said on your ankles and your twists, you know, doing yeah. spin kick all the time and all that, which I love doing all that stuff. So right. I, I landed a cool hook kick on a guy the other day. So it was you know I, I felt cool. really good after I landed it. But uh, <laughs> I think but, that's great that you're doing combination because jujitsu. I mean, I think they've got some pretty um, pretty good self-defense moves in that, if I'm not mistaken. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's the that's the toughest tough. one is to learn to fight on your back when somebody's on top of you trying to beat you up. That's the toughest yeah. you know, spot to be in, uh, at least for me, uh, that I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. Now I still do kickboxing, and I I'm still, you know, pretty good at that. But um, yeah, I can remember when Billy and the, all of the guys first started. I mean, they hadn't been doing martial arts for quite a while and he was getting tuned up and it buddy it didn't take him long at all to to get right back up to where he needed to be and then some do other members i know your son but uh do any other members of your family have uh, any degrees in in taekwondo as well or we any martial all, we all are black belts yeah we all are black belts and my my daughter does kickboxing she's the reason that i started doing kickboxing with her and you know, she she used to just beat the crap out of all the boys. It was so embarrassing for the boys when they were growing up because she's very athletic. But she, in a competition, because, you know, we, we would go to all of the different competitions. Well, my son even competed in, in uh, South Korea in the yeah. Junior Olympics. But she would not hurt one of the girls because she is she's just a very lovable, likable, bubbly, extroverted girl. And she wanted to be everybody's friend. <laughs> she she would beat up the boys and with no problem at all. But she wouldn't. She didn't do well competing against the girls because she didn't want to hurt them. But my my son made up for it. It didn't bother him a bit. He would fight the boys. He didn't care about being their friend. He just wanted to win because he's so competitive. But uh, it was great for my family because I wanted to do something with my children rather than just taking them to dance or. Um, soccer, whatever, and dropping them off. I, I wanted to participate with my children. So that was, we've got great memories. And like I said, we traveled to South Korea. We went with our our school and several other Taekwondo schools from the state of Florida and all over the Southeast and got to meet a lot of different people. So it was it was a great experience. And my son was, he was a very rambunctious boy, typical boy, and I wouldn't have wanted him any other way. But the discipline that Master yeah. Rose, he went to Rose Taekwondo in Winter Haven, Florida, that discipline it really helped my son. And both of my kids were on a, a demonstration team, you know, a demo team where we would go and perform. And there were probably like 40 kids that, that were good enough to be on this team. We performed all over and it was quite exciting. They were really good at it. Yeah, it's, you know, martial arts is a very tough thing. So it, I just thought it was, you know, a really cool thing that uh, you have a black belt and you're on Karate Kid. And Isn't I don't know how many people are aware I, of that. So. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> you couldn't have, you know, made that up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, one more thing here before we start to wrap up. And that's about, you just got a role. Um, it's, a, it's a one-off role, but you just got a role in the uh, new Disney Loki show that just came out. So you're officially part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. So, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that? And how, how does it feel to be working with Disney? And, you know, do you feel like you sold your soul being you you, you signed a sign with Disney or? <laughs> Listen, I I that was such a blast to be in Loki and to go toe to toe with yeah. the god of mischief and he did not fool my character. Um, I play the Lamentian yeah. homesteader on the course of planet L Lamentus, and got to blast him with my futuristic gun not once but twice. And it was such a thrill just to be on such a 
an enormous set and uh, it's just huge that that whole world is huge and I am I am so grateful for the, for that opportunity guys it's I mean you know it's the nicest trailer I've ever had it's the biggest production I've ever been in it had a female they have a female director uh, Kate Heron uh, a British director who's fantastic and Tom Hiddleston is is just an absolute um, dream to work with and was so affirming and just very professional and really said some some nice things to me that I didn't know at the time I needed to hear but but I'll remember them my whole life and he just has no idea what his words of affirmation meant to a southeastern actress who's been schlepping all over the place doing this business for a while so it, it's just it's in my a special place in my heart forever that's awesome uh so i, I did want to ask too just to touch on it a tad but um so what was it like uh with covid restrictions filming uh loki or the uh, latest um you know um cobra kai stuff right very very strict so and, and everybody's just kind of walking on eggshells because they know at any moment we could be completely shut down. So, yeah. you know, the COVID testing is very strict and it's not it's not the nose tickler, it's the brain scratcher. <laughs> oh, oh. And and you show up for that and then there's, um, you know, uh, temperature checks all the time before you can even get anywhere near set. But, yeah, I mean, they have to do that because if. You know, they got one person coming, oh. testing positive. I mean, they're shut down. It, it happens. But um, the union, I think last week, it was when I was on A Taste of Love, the Martin Cove Hallmark thing. I think uh, the Screen Actors Guild came out with a statement stating that if you're fully vaccinated, that you only have to be tested once a week with the, the, uh, the nasal swab rather than three times a week, which is what is required usually. So that's, I don't know if they're going to change that with, you know, they're starting to have some spikes, but yeah, uh, everybody has been very professional and it was, it was super strict on, on the Marvel set for sure. Yeah, definitely. But good thing, right? I mean, you gotta be. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, it, safety is, is the main precaution over everything. Mm -hmm. I heard, I heard a thing where uh, Tom Cruise uh, went on a huge rant about people not wearing masks on the yeah. film huge recently, and yeah, so I guess that was all over the internet, and that yeah, that was kind of crazy. Yeah, but, I heard um, about that. So, uh, like I said, we're getting close here. Um, so I got a couple, just a couple more questions for you here. I wanted to ask what uh, family, your your you know your kids and your husband and stuff, and and anybody else in your family, what do they think about you? Um, you know, being in Cobra Kai and now getting the the role in Loki, and and what what do they think about your acting and you know being in these big name shows that are coming out? They're they're really happy for me. Like I said earlier, my my children grew up in this, uh, even though I wasn't like working full time. They were both in the business for years. They and and they've seen me their whole lives. Um, experience a lot of rejection because this this business is full of rejection and disappointment and you have to develop a very tough skin thick skin and my husband many years ago uh, quit letting me whine 
and mm -hmm. moan and groan and complain when I wouldn't get a job. They would do the little violin with their little fingers and the kids would do that to me anytime I would start up. So, and then they knew it, what happened is, you know, I would always threaten to quit. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Blah, 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 blah. I should have gotten that job. I worked so hard, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, they just didn't, they, they wouldn't go there with me. So it's been more of a positive kind of thing the last probably 10 years. And they're just so, so happy for me and their phones are blowing up, especially, you know, on, on Cobra Kai and Loki and their friends are very supportive. So it's been fun because they do know what it takes to, to get even the, the smallest part like a homeless land or like in Loki, they know how hard it is and how much competition is out there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're proud of their mama and, um, their wife and would probably like for me to be making more money. And I keep telling them it's coming. I feel it. It's coming. So we'll see. Yeah. I just take it a day at a time guys. Cause really that's all we got is today. So I just try to live in the moment and be grateful. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, doing acting. I mean, not that I've done it myself, I, although I did take an acting class technically once, but, um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of people don't understand that it's, you know, it's tough to, um, you know, face a lot of reject. It's basically a, a, you know, you get rejected so many times, so much trying to audition for roles and stuff. And, and people don't realize that when they try to go into the business that you're, you know, if, if you want to get into that type of thing, you, you you better be prepared. Like you said, you better have a tough skin or else, you know, you're in for it. That's, right. so. That's right. And Zena Jasper, my mentor and acting coach in New York, she'll tell me all the time. She'll say, Susan, this is what you signed up for. This is it. You know, when I'm disappointed about something. Um, so it, it's you have to accept that. That's a big part of it. Yeah, so for those that want to get into it, they better be prepared because if not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you have to, for, I, I think you have to have a life. You can't, you cannot make acting and the business or, or anything your whole life. And I, I think you're a better actor if you actually have a life and, and have acting as part of your life and keep your priorities straight with what's really, really important, which are, of course, your relationships and your family and your friends and your health. And, and all of those, I think, contribute to being a more well-rounded and, and better actor and, and better business person to withstand the ups and downs of this business, because it is a business. Yeah. Well, just one little quick question for you left, and then we'll uh, let you go here. Is there anything you have in the works currently that um, fans should be aware of? Anything you have coming out that you want you want people to know about and check out? Well, I'm doing some uh, executive producing, and I wrapped on an action POC, which is a proof of concept. It's kind of like a trailer that you can used to advertise to possibly get money financing to do a feature film and i had never done any action and it's with sam medina if you look him up he's in the new hugh jackman movie and he was in the walt mark Wahlberg movie and he's directing and uh an actor by the name of belent gherkin and i who is a kind of a survival expert and military um special ops guy he's the star of it and it's called the latency 
and it is action-packed, buddy. I, I play uh, sort of a, uh, the boss lady, and um, we're in post-production of that, and so we hope to have that out very soon. And then, like I said, we've got A Taste of Love, the Hallmark-type movie that I'm in where I play Martin Cove's wife and his son, Jesse is one of the stars and Aaron Cahill. So we're really, really excited about that. And then I booked a short film I'm the lead in that's going to be shooting in New York and Rhode Island in October. And I'm thrilled to be a part of that. So if you follow me on my social media on Instagram, it's I am Susan Gallagher. And then on Facebook, I have Susan Gallagher official. And then the Cobra Kai fans started a group page called Cobra Kai's Homeless Lynn, yes. and I, I engage on that, too, and then on Twitter at Susan L. Gallagher, so um, I try to keep everybody up to date with what's going on, and I just thank you guys for having me, and I just thank the whole Karate Kid universe and the Marvel universe and all of my friends and fans and family for all of your support. It, it just means so much, and um, I just love everybody, and I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming on and taking some time out of your day, and uh, we wish you all the best of luck and hope to see you uh, get plenty more roles and some big, hopefully some bigger things coming as well. And, and uh, you know, I know they kind of diminished your role in the, in the last season of Cobra Kai, so I hope we get a little bit more of you this next time around. But either way, I hope you just continue on to be a reoccurring character in that show because Homeless Lynn, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to say this earlier, but Homeless Lynn, so when I, when I watch, I do security for a living, and so I deal with homeless people for the majority of what I do. And right. when I saw you performing and the girls are in the car and they're they're getting high and they're like hey don't make eye contact with her she'll come over here <laughs> like oh my god i made eye contact with her here she comes and you were just so creepy and and so i mean you play that role like I, I like i was like wow like i you know you couldn't have been a better homeless person you really you know embodied that fully so i just thought that was great and yeah i'm it's glad the, that the it's the rotten good. teeth the rotten teeth, that's yeah. the icing on the cake when they paint my each tooth brown and then they go back in between them with dark brown. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's and been the whole, a blast. You know, the whole meth and uh, burrito and all yeah. that is just Well, classic. I don't want meth and a burrito. And I'll tell you this about uh, season three, that soup scene. There was a whole lot of my stuff cut out. So if you're ever talking or interviewing the big three, somebody needs to ask them about that because someday it may come out on deleted scenes and y'all just need to buckle up. <laughs> That's all I can tell you, because Lynn is a mess. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, like I said, you play that character, like, I, I dealing with them every, with people like that every day, I, I mean, yep. you, that was one of the best performances I've ever seen for a homeless person. Oh, so. thank you yeah, so much. I really appreciate that. that. That's such a nice thing to say. Thank you. Yeah, uh, no, thank you. And so um, I do want to say that we hope to have you on uh, in the future again for uh, some of your other stuff, because there was a couple things I didn't get to touch on. And, you know, uh, being that we're running a little over on time, I didn't, you know, we'll, we'll cut it short here. So we'll get you back on at some point and discuss some of these other things as well. So OK, I'd love uh, it, guys. And and John here, I just want to say thank you for doing this. Uh, I also am a fan. And my fingers are crossed for the day that they let Glenn kick the door down and save everybody. <laughs> I love I it. So. I hope so. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks. you so much. 
And that'll do it for this episode of In the Mouth of Monster. For Joe Guillermo and John Schatzer, I'm Monster Dugan. Stay safe.